Hey, welcome to the Cloud Native Show presented by Rackner. My name is Alex Roll, and I'm here with Sam DeFresnay, who's the CTO at Sitter City. How are you? I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, likewise, thank you for agreeing to hop on. So let's start out with the company itself. So what does Sitter City do? Uh, and just to give everyone a little bit of context. Sure. Uh, so Sitter City is uh, an online marketplace that uh, allows for parents and uh, or, or families in general to connect with caregivers in the form of either babysitters or nannies. Um, so we we are really in the, the business of connecting our families with caregivers. And um, for families, uh, we provide tools and facility for them to find the right caregiver for their particular situation. Um, as you can imagine, that varies greatly on from person to person and city, city, uh, city to city. Um, on the other side, uh, we provide tooling and um, and help for our sitters to find um, the right family and best opportunities for them. Uh, so we are really a, a pretty unique marketplace um, in that we're, we're trying to, you know, bring people together and connect them. Um, but whereas in other marketplaces, there's a pretty straightforward um, specification of need. Um, every time a parent tells us their particular situation, uh, it's so different from the next one. And mm -hmm. uh, our platform has been built to really facilitate uh, matching um, those two sides of the market. Awesome. So I think you've been at Center City for a while uh, from what I've seen. How do you get to Center City? So can you speak a little bit just about your background and how you got into the industry? Yeah, and I'm probably going back some way now. Um, I, I got into uh, the software industry pretty much straight out of university um, in mm -hmm. the well, shortly after the dot com bubble uh, burst in two thousand one, um, and I actually I wasn't really studying software at university directly, although we did quite a bit of it. I was actually doing uh, a course more focused on computer animation for visual effects, um, which was sort of the the path I wanted to take. Um, but as I was going through that course, I spent a lot of time focusing on um, a lot of shader programming, uh, which is uh, basically programmatically defining the way that something would render in 3D space. Um, and I was enjoying it a great deal. So I started to focus my efforts on, on software. And as I came to the end of my course, I realized that um, the, the web was starting to recover from the dot-com boom, it's particularly in the UK. And uh, there was a lot of opportunity. So I, I left university uh, with my degree and uh, moved to the north of England in Sheffield and started working um, for a number of digital agencies um, building multimedia and web-based products um, for a variety of clients and did that for a number of years and then uh, started to really want to hone my web skills. So multimedia back in uh, sort of 2002 and 2003 was still surprisingly a, a thing that people did. I, we distributed a lot of my product work on CDs to people, which um, is incredible to think about at this point in time, but that's what we used to do. Um, however, the web um, quickly became my focus, and I spent um, a lot of time working in uh, Manchester in the UK uh, for uh, a number of clients, but particularly the University of Manchester, 
And they had very specific needs um, with regards to accessibility and, and access to their services. Um, Europe is quite a strong leader in, in um, laws that, that govern how um, multimedia and interactive services need to work. And so started to really start to understand the accessibility constraints and how to build websites in um, a way that um, enables anyone uh, on any device to start to access them. And as I did that, um, I was working more and more with people in London and so decided to move to London in, in 2006 and spent much of my time there working on, um, well, for two different companies. The first was a company called uh, Makuru. And Makuru were doing uh, money transfer to Zimbabwe. And at the time, Zimbabwe was in quite a period of upheaval. Um, they were in a period of hyperinflation. And so uh, it was quite a challenge because uh, we were sending uh, generally um, sterling, so UK pounds, uh, to be uh, remitted in Zimbabwe in Zimbabwean dollars. Um, but because they were in hyperinflation, um, that the, the value of the pound versus Zimbabwe dollar was um, changing uh, by the hour and, and sometimes by powers of 10, which I'd, I had never seen before, but, but definitely uh, creates a challenge. Um, so, yeah, we built a platform that supported that. Thankfully, midway through that project, um, they decided to back their currency on the US dollar in the end and things settled down into a much more consistent and predictable manner. But that was definitely a, a fun opportunity. Um, but after that, I, I went and joined a company uh, that's now called Invica. Um, they're quite uh, a large uh, digital agency in the UK, but at the time they were um, iBuildings. And they, they were effectively the um, de facto enterprise PHP um, provider of services in, in London and the UK and, and Europe and beyond. And for them, um, I got the great privilege of working with amazing teams um, at the BBC on BBC iPlayer, which um, for anyone that's not aware, BBC iPlayer is one of the largest video on demand services in the UK, probably behind Netflix. Um, uh, also for Comic Relief, which is a, a large charity that uh, raises lots of money uh, for great causes. And then uh, Vodafone, which is a major uh, telephone company. And through that, I was um, exposed to um, how PHP certainly was used in enterprise and at scales I'd never really witnessed, certainly at the, the BBC, where we were we were dealing with traffic volumes that um, you, know, you, you rarely get to see. Um, in one's career, so that was a real opportunity. And while that was all going on, I got involved with an open source um, framework in the PHP community called Kahana. And uh, Kahana was a very lightweight, unopinionated um, PHP framework. And um, it was something that uh, I really enjoyed using and started committing to and uh, was um, honored with being added to the core uh, contributors team uh, in 2010 and roughly at the same time City City started using Kahana for all of its application development and uh, between 2010 and 2011 City City started hiring uh, the core contributors to the Kahana framework and uh, in uh, early 2011 I started uh, working from London for City City and then moved to Chicago um, at the end of that year and uh, at the time, I was uh, one of the uh, senior software engineers and team leaders, um, and I got given an, a number of projects um, 
mm-hmm. to, to look after, one of which was a major replatforming um, that Citicity was going through at the time. And after uh, delivering that um, successfully for the company, um, I was uh, promoted to the head of technology and, and later CTO. So how long has the company actually been around? So you said you joined in 2011? Yeah, I, I joined in 2011, and uh, the company was actually founded in 2001 um, by wow. Genevieve Tears uh, in Boston. She she was um, at college there, and um, she was looking for work as a babysitter, and um, she saw uh, a mother struggling to post a notice um, to find sitters um, in, in various dorms around Boston. And uh, I believe it was winter and very cold, and she was struggling up some stairs, you know, carrying her, her bags and, and trying to keep her, her children with her and then posting these notices on the, the billboards in the, the dorm rooms. And uh, Genevieve just thought there's got to be a better way. And so um, started to do develop what was the first version of Citizen City. Wow. So you mentioned a major transition around the time you joined. I know we actually talked ahead of the podcast of a few different transitions that Sitter City went through um, between 2011 and now. But uh, why don't we start with a little bit of the journey of the platform from 2011 to now? This is the Cloud Native Show, obviously. uh, And I think the major journey that you were involved in, or at least I think the one you're mentioning, is uh, the moving from sort of a data center environment to uh, the cloud. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so uh, when I joined Citizen City, um, I, I was um, not shocked, but it, it was intriguing to me to find that all of their production uh, hosting environment was in data centers um, in and around Chicago and, and the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that is not uncommon, particularly then. Um, but Certainly in uh, London, I'd spent a lot of time working in um, cloud environments um, with virtualized servers. So um, it was very much of, okay, I'm rolling on my sleeves. We're going back to a world where we have, um, you know, actual physical resource we need to manage. And we're using Capistrano to dis- deploy our applications uh, around mm-hmm. these resources. Um, but as uh, the first replatforming um project was uh, underway, it, um, for its very nature of what we needed to do, which was to uh, bring up applications quickly uh, and tear them down quickly, became clear that trying to manage that within our, um, our or, well, not on-prem, but our, our bare metal servers uh, was not uh, efficient in any way. And so quickly started using Amazon, uh, Amazon uh, web services um, and EC2 and all of the product portfolio they provide um, to develop um, the the new platform within. And generally, it was you know so much easier, and we built up quite sophisticated tooling in that environment uh, that we decided that it, we wouldn't only use it as a development environment, but we'd actually use it as our final um, production environment as well. So in uh, 2013, uh, we officially uh, launched the new version of Citizen City, which was uh, replatformed, and that was um, uh, exclusively hosted in Amazon um, in EC2. Um, that was in we were just using virtualized environments then, um, so we were we were using Amazon and we were in the cloud. Uh, but I would say we were using the resource in a um, 
sort of mindset that it was they were still physical servers even though they, they were virtual machines and so um as uh, anyone that's uh, sort of experienced this will will discover our, our hosting costs uh, skyrocketed <laughs> to uh, quite astronomical levels very quickly, uh, which um, I, I guess isn't really surprising, but it certainly refocused our efforts. And uh, very quickly, we started looking at ways that we could be more efficient with our resource. Um, at the time, there was a lot of uh, businesses that were sort of set up to help you sort of plan your cost in, in Amazon. So that would help you sort of strategize how much um, committed resource you wanted to commit to and bring the cost down. Um, and we, we certainly uh, partnered with a few people there. Um, but what we realized is that uh, certainly for us um, and our application workloads, uh, a lot of um, the, the cost in what we were doing was more being spent on just the virtual machine environment and the operating mm -hmm. system running within uh, rather than the actual application workload that we we really valued and where our money came from. And um, so we were starting to look for, okay, well, how can we really maximize the resource? And, you know, one way to do it is just to run more in, in each machine. Um, but we generally are running a Ruby-based stack, and that doesn't um, play well, particularly if you have different versions of Ruby or, or libraries. Um, you can do it, but it's, uh, it's an extra overhead in terms of management. Um, and then at the same time, I was uh, visiting a friend, uh, a former uh, co-contributor on the Kahana framework in San Francisco, and he uh, was working with uh, Heroku at the time. And over a lot of years, we started talking about his experience working with Linux containers, um, mm -hmm. which at the time was a relatively new technology that Google had committed into the, the Linux um, uh, project. Um, but very quickly, it became clear that in this um, uh, pretty much glorified, cherooted environment, you could run processes isolated from each other and allow for much better utilization of your virtual machine resources. And so very quickly, I realized that that was probably the best way of bringing down cost um, if we could actually harness this new container environment, um, then uh, we could probably reduce the number of virtual machines that we were commissioning out of Amazon. Mm. That's, so that's so 2013, 2014, that's pretty early, as yeah. you mentioned. So were there a lot of growing pains in terms of using technology that might not have been completely mature yet? Oh, so many, so many growing pains. <laughs> I, it, it, I mean, it, it really was bleeding edge at that point. And the, I mean, the you know, the, the first question that comes to anyone uh, that has these decisions is whether you buy or build in this environment. And mm -hmm. so uh, buy was definitely the first uh, thing we investigated. And at the time, um, there wasn't really much in the market. Docker was a project and it existed. Um, and we looked at Docker quite extensively, uh, but there was a number of things that we didn't like about it at the time. Um, and, and one of the main ones was the security concerns that everything ran as root. And so you'd have to wrap um, all of the Docker infrastructure in various secure, uh, security layers to actually um, 
put it in a condition that I would be comfortable running in a production setting. Um, so very early on, we decided Docker wasn't the right uh, solution for us. There were a couple of other projects out there, um, one that uh, Twitter was heavily involved in, um, but was way too sophisticated and, and required a, a separate team in its own right to sort of manage and deploy. So after looking at the Linux container or LXZ framework, as it was called, uh, we decided, well, we don't need anything too sophisticated. We just need some basic orchestration of our workloads. Mm -hmm. uh, so we decided to build our own orchestration system um, and started on that in uh, 2014 uh, and actually got it uh, into production the same year, about six months later. And it was, it was hand-rolled uh, specific for our needs, um, but it actually performed really well. Uh, we managed to bring our costs down uh, by about 30% uh, very quickly after that was deployed um, and started to have a facility to do other interesting things um, with our, well, continuous integration and continuous deployment um, pipelines, which weren't really as um, available to us when we had a much more um, complex uh, build procedure. Uh, so... Mm -hmm. This uh, orchestration system um, really allowed us to start to um, move very, very quickly and effectively, and most importantly for me, predictably as well. Right. So that that takes us to like 2014 release orchestration system. I think you mentioned that in 2017 you transitioned from AWS to GCP, and then you also transitioned your orchestration layer to Kubernetes. So what were the reasons for doing that? Yeah, um, there, there were a number of competing reasons. Um, but the first thing is that uh, three years had passed since we, we first looked at this problem. And in that time, the landscape had changed quite significantly. Uh, we were also getting quite a bit of feedback from our um, main platform engineering team about uh, mostly feature requests, things that they wanted from our orchestration system uh, for it to be able to do. And some of those things uh, related to observability, so having tooling that allowed them to really uh, understand how the workload in the containers um, were behaving. So everything mm -hmm. logging to various metrics, um, all very very reasonable requests, of course, um, but things that weren't there from, from day one and we were still trying to catch up on. Um, and the the second uh, reason was that, you know, we, Citizen City is um, uh, very focused on our core business, which is really matching parents to sitters. It's not mm -hmm. um, building out uh, cloud orchestration systems. So, um, right. you know, a lot of our focus and time is actually devoted to our main products and uh, less on the tooling. And so, actually, at the invite of a, a colleague that was now working at Google in the Google Cloud team, I went to uh, Cloud Next in San Francisco that year. And uh, we were already looking at Kubernetes, which had emerged um, out of Google at the time and was um, pretty sophisticated already um, at, at that point and answered a lot of the, the requests that our development team had. Um, but we were planning to actually deploy that into Amazon and, and effectively run it ourselves. Um, but after going to Next um, that year, I got a hands-on demo with the relatively new um, 
uh, Google Kubernetes engine as it was, uh, sorry, container engine as it was called then. It's now Kubernetes engine. And um, was instantly um, apparent to me that uh, we probably should actually just migrate into that system um, and let Google sort of manage the 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 running and the operation of Kubernetes as a service and allow us to to manage the workloads that we need to run uh, within that service. So worked very closely with Google that year to start to plan out uh, how a migration would would work and then presented it back to our team and board at Citizen City uh, with projections um, on how long it would take and what the return on that investment would be. And yeah, it was green lit uh, in the summer of 2017. Right. So that took a couple of years to complete. Uh, how does the current uh, state of the Citizen City infrastructure look. So is it is it basically just Kubernetes running on GKE? I know you mentioned that you uh, heavily use uh, tools like BigQuery and Looker, and then also are starting to use some of the um, sort of machine learning Google uh, services. So how does it look now like today? Yeah. Um, so I, I first, I'll probably just uh, say that as we migrated to Google, um, we did a lot of rationalization um, prior to um, arriving in Google Cloud. Um, we were using a lot of uh, Amazon's based services. So outside of EC2, uh, we also had a heavy reliance on RDS and um, also Redshift uh, was used heavily by our analytics team. Um, S3, of course, you know, most of the portfolio of, of Amazon services. Um, but one of the major headaches that we had and we're trying to solve is really getting good and quality data um, to our team, our analysts and our marketers. Um, and really... Uh, optimizing that, so allowing them to have much more uh, real-time or or at least uh, within the last hour amounts of data available to them, which we just um, weren't able to do with some of the ETL processes that um, sorry, um, extract, transform, and load, just to expand ETL um, processes that we had set up um, to support our, our Amazon environment. So... Um, our move into Google was um, quite multifaceted. Uh, one part was managing our compute and workloads, um, but we also had to move um, terabytes of data um, without bringing our site down. Uh, we are a 24-hour operation. Um, but also we re-engineered our, our data analytics layer as well. Um, so... We introduced some new tooling um, to allow us to really capture all of the activity happening on our main consumer platform, um, both on the server, but also on our clients uh, on the web, as well as in the native mobile applications, and have a uh, event stream or firehose of that data that then um, ventilated a number of other downstream services from our CRM and marketing platform uh, to our data warehouse, which we migrated into BigQuery. And, um, really transformed the way that data flowed from our production systems into the analytics space. Right. I think that gives uh, definitely me a good understanding of where you are now. So when you look ahead at, say, the next six to 12 months, what are you interested in pursuing or what is on the roadmap to pursue as far as infrastructure? 
um, I think you had mentioned that uh, you're looking into sort of the serverless cloud functions and cloud run type technologies, but uh, why don't you elucidate a little bit on that? Yeah. Um, so cloud functions and and serverless is is definitely a, a big focus right now. Uh, is is finding the right use cases for that, um, and, and we have a number um, that we are certainly using serverless to start to bind a number of the the services that Google provides us um, today uh, together into uh, various solutions. Um, and one of those recently that we have been um, very focused on is one of the problems we have from an operation standpoint of um, really getting um, approved and quality um, profile pictures for sitters um, into a published state on our system. Um, the realities of our business is that um, sitters without a profile picture are, are very unlikely to actually um, successfully get a job on our platform mm -hmm. because it's a huge part of the, the sort of consideration factors that a parent will use when considering um, which caregiver they're going to supply. And um, given the nature of our business, uh, we have to have confidence that all of the imagery on our sites is suitable for the audience. Um, as you can mm -hmm. imagine, unsavory images would be, um, you know, a, a terrible experience for our parents and, and not a good uh, sort of confidence builder for, for any customer of ours um, if they manage to get through. And so to date, we have uh, used exclusively a team of people that would review every photo that a sitter and parent um, provide us um, and generally the time to publication will be uh, around about uh, 24 hours um, in in normal service but in the summers we have what we call our, our peak season um, prior to the back to school time and the lead time for publication then can go past two days and uh, two days for a sitter that's looking for work is is like a it's, it's an eternity effectively um, because they're just not going to get any any real notice um, or attention from from parents um, but our human review team only scales so far. And so um, we started looking at ways that we could help optimize that without um, diminishing the quality of, of the review system. And so working with Google, we started using uh, both their cloud vision tooling as well as the extension to that, which is AutoML um, vision, uh, to start building our own model um, that will allow us to review photos in a confident way and help um, reduce the load on on our review team um, because for common things that photos get rejected for um, such as uh, incorrect cropping or not not a clear picture of someone's face um, the uh, machine learning models actually do a great job of identifying those mm -hmm. and so we can pre-filter those out of the queue um, and let our, our human reviewers actually focus on sort of the more complex um, set of criteria. And in the process of deploying that, um, we've reduced the, the lead time to publication um, right down from you know up to two days to, to under an hour, which is uh, a huge win for our sitters and, and our parents as well. And so all of that system was built um, effectively using cloud functions. We, we bound a number of Google services together um, with cloud functions and their PubSub tooling, and it was very fast. Um, and all of this new infrastructure was built um, in a new way for us. Um, traditionally, uh, we had been building 
applications to run um, as workloads within containers. And this was uh, the first production system that we actually started using a serverless environment uh, using Google's cloud functions to bind um, both uh, the Vision API with also um, PubSub to build a, a review pipeline um, that uh, allowed um, for for this optimization of that review queue. And uh, we have to say it was it was a great learning experience and um, it's definitely something that we're looking into exploring even further with a number of other initiatives because it's very quick to prototype and, and very efficient mm -hmm. to run, but scales immensely well very quickly as, as we go through peak season. Um, being able to scale those functions um, automatically in Google for us to, to meet load um, it is is so so powerful for us because even with Kubernetes, um, we have to do an, a number of things to figure out what our scaling factors need to be, both from our uh, workloads, but also from our cluster size as well. And all of that is uh, effectively redundant within uh, the cloud function environment, which is um, very much appreciated by my team. Very cool. So I have a slightly peripheral question before we get to our last question that I think would be interesting, at least for me, to sort of see exactly what was going on. So, you know, you went through a few different iterations of the infrastructure layer. Um, I'd be interested to hear how much changed sort of in the application layer in terms of the frameworks in use uh, during this time. So are you, were you uh, like, were you on PHP and using PHP the entire time or did a lot of stuff change there as well? Yeah, that, that's, um, definitely changed in my, my time at Citicity. So I did join and we were exclusively a PHP based platform, um, mm -hmm. uh, using Kahana and a, a homegrown framework at the time. Um, after our move of the system onto Kahana, uh, pretty quickly, um, for a variety of reasons, uh, we decided to move on to um, a new system based on uh, Ruby and Rails. Um, mm -hmm. And that took uh, about two years uh, to, to build and complete and uh, was launched in uh, the tail end of 2013. And... We had been developing in Ruby for, for quite some time, um, but uh, we're starting to have some headaches um, in the operational side of Ruby, uh, particularly under load. Um, in certain circumstances, uh, Rails and, and Ruby can get quite leaky with memory usage, and you'll start to see uh, memory exponentially grow. Um, and certainly in a virtualized environment, this really became a bit of a headache. Um, thankfully, with um, containers, uh, it's less of a, an ordeal for us because you can contain that within the containerized environment. And effectively, the process dies and gets restarted by the orchestrator, which isn't ideal. Um, we really don't want processes uh, doing that in, in general, but um, certainly lessened the, the heartache for our team. Um, but because of those characteristics of the ra uh, Rails uh, applications, uh, we started looking around for a better um, uh, language or, or framework of language to use um, for uh, rock-solid and long-running um, workloads, um, particularly for our APIs and a lot of our business rules. And so 
between 2014 and 15, we started toying with um, a number of compiled languages, um, one of which was Scala, which uh, didn't get much traction with our team. Um, but the other one was Golang, um, which was relatively unheard of uh, at that time. It was being used. Uh, Twitch was a big advocate of it um, at that point in time. And, of course, Google were using it themselves. Um, and so we built a system um, that was a, a message aggregator for our marketing team um, in Golang as, as kind of an experiment to see how it run uh, and how it was to develop in and um, you know how quickly we could really build uh, tooling and frameworks around that. And uh, our, the team absolutely loved it. Uh, these are all... Uh, Ruby engineers, so that they've been working in Ruby for uh, a long time, um, but they they made the transition to GoLang uh, far better than I expected. Um, at my history, I've done a lot of C programming, so GoLang was like a better version of C for me, which was great to see. Um, but I wasn't sure how it would be for people that had been working in a dynamic language for so long. But um, it was an instant success for the team. And the, the other success was um, once we deployed a, an app written in Golang, it just ran and kept running. And, and, and still to this day, some of the, um, uh, you just look at the commits on some projects, they, they just haven't been altered in many years because they just keep working and, and don't need optimizations or improvements. And they run very efficiently. They, they use very small amounts of memory and are, are very good at keeping that under control as well. Very cool. Okay, last question. Uh, I always like to keep things a little broader for the end of the show. So I'd like to hear what you're interested or excited about in technology that doesn't really need to be specific to your industry. Um, it just it could be a broad question, but what are you personally excited about, uh, whether it's in, you know, specifically web and application technologies or just any sort of technology? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to sort of where our, our focus is starting to turn um, from serverless. I, I've spent mm -hmm. a good part of the last decade um, spending a lot of time figuring out how to run a containerized environment. And it, mm -hmm. it was a revolution uh, coming out of the, the virtualized world. Um, but there are still a number of issues or distractions that, uh, you know, a lot of time um, is spent talking about how to resolve those or overcome them. And um, serverless uh, really is sort of the next generation or the next leap in the evolution of um, cloud infrastructure. And I think, we're, you know, cloud functions or Lambda and AWS are, are great first um, sort of uh stabs at that problem and, and a great products in their own right. Um, but Cloud Run, uh, which is coming into the Kubernetes uh, um, projects, uh, is far more interesting because I think that's going to be far more accessible for, for a lot of um, businesses out there, particularly those that are still um, in the process of transitioning from either their, their on-prem um, operations or a hybrid um, solution into a cloud operation. Um, that's uh, whole framework around uh, serverless workloads is just going to make it far more accessible and, and far easier for their teams to deploy quickly and um, really understand the, the problems that they're working on. So a lot of my time is spent uh, reading up and keeping up to speed with um, all of the mm -hmm. serverless developments at the moment. Very cool. 
Well, thank you so much, Sam. Uh, super happy to have you on the show. And I'm really interested to see what everyone thinks about this episode. And I think we talked about a lot of cool stuff and a lot of uh, different leaps in orchestration and containers. So uh, I think this is a great one. Thank you again. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here.